0: The known universe, with its heroes and marvels, but what of the darkness? In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. Tomb of
1: Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. <laughs> Hello again, Tomb Believers, for the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. My name is James Hickson.
2: And I'm Trey Lawson.
1: And we are starting an epic journey into a fairly recent crossover for us.
2: Yeah we we don't often go this close to the present. This is probably the newest thing we've ever done.
1: We are doing Heroes Reborn.
2: And I have to say, I'm I'm really excited because, you know, Onslaught has such a cool design and, you know, uh, Franklin Richards is so cool. Trey, and uh, uh, I Yeah.
1: I know you feel that um Rob Liefeld is the greatest artistic genius ever in comics.
2: I mean, but... his anatomy is unlike anyone else's. That's what she said.
1: But <laughs> uh, I'm actually referring to the 2021 Heroes Reborn. Oh, you know, the one that so, spun out of Jason Aaron's Avengers run,
2: right? So no onslaught.
1: Yeah. I mean, a version of Onslaught might have existed in this altered reality we're about to talk about, but right, he doesn't appear in any of the issues we're talking about.
2: Right, and you've actually uh, you went back and, and went through a bunch of the Jason Aaron run leading up to this, didn't you? I, I read all of it. Is that the most contemporary comics you've read in years? Um, th-
1: there is an excellent chance that it's the most contemporary comics I've read. Um, <laughs> I I can't think of anything more recent that I've read.
2: Yeah, well, and again, that's within the last two years, basically three years, I guess, counting the stuff that leads up to it.
1: Yeah. Um, for our listeners who don't know, my usual comic reading is nothing within the past 20
2: years. Strictly Silver Bronze Age? Yeah.
1: yeah, Rick, With I mean,
2: some 90s thrown in? I, it isn't intentional. <laughs> it's just its just a way that it, it kind of falls for me. Hey, we all have our interests. That's okay.
1: Yeah, this is Heroes Reborn, spearheaded right? by Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis. But we'll talk about that, too, because... Mm, I've got I've got issues.
2: And it, it's a fairly sprawling crossover. Right. Uh we we've got we've got seven main issues, plus I'm counting ten tie-ins.
1: That sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. And
2: speaking plus, of issues. Plus plus the heroes return one shot at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking
1: of issues, we are talking about Heroes Reborn, number one, Hyperion. And The Imperial Guard, number one. Peter Parker, The Amazing Shutterbug, number one. And Heroes Reborn, number two. That's right. That's right, folks. We are talking about all of those
2: tie-ins. And and you might be saying, wow, that's a lot. You guys usually only do, like, two or three issues per episode. Well, we're in the era of contemporary comics, and the word of the day is decompressed.
1: Yes. And if you think this is bad, wait until you see our inferno co- coverage in the summer. Oh, oh, oh boy. We're
2: cramming a lot of content into those.
1: Ooh, there's a reason it's all summer, folks. I'm just I'm letting you just know this now.
2: Well, inferno was a big event like, because I, I said this was a big event. Inferno was a gigantic event. right This was this- fairly this is restrained in that everything is self-contained. It's not tying into other ongoing titles. Inferno ties into basically every ongoing title Marvel had.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is actually, I, I would actually call this a micro event.
2: Yeah, it, well, it's Marvel's version of a DC event. Mm. And they've done this before. Secret Wars was like this. The, the, the second, the, the more recent Secret Wars was like this. Mm-hmm. Where you had your, your event book and you had a bunch of tie-ins, and you really didn't need to read the tie-ins. Don't worry, folks. We'll talk about all the tie-ins on this one. But you didn't need to read them. You could read the main event and be fine. Whereas Inferno is one where you kind of have to read most everything. (laughs) At least that's my memory of of it as as an event. Let's take a quick break, and when we return, we'll be back with Heroes Reborn number one, right after these messages. At To The Batpoles Podcast, we look at the many sides of
0: our favorite hero, Batman. For example, Encyclopedia
1: Batman. It's the basic formula for escaping from the Siamese human knot. I just recalled it.
0: Civic Responsibility Batman.
1: Only a criminal would disguise himself as a licensed bonded guard, yet callously park in front of a fire hydrant.
0: Impish Humor Batman.
1: Look at him, Robin. That crooked bird's going
0: crazy. And more. See if you can identify other sides of the Cape Crusader and then join us at To The Bat Poles Podcast, available wherever podcasts are found or at to tothebatpoles.libsyn.com. Batman has many sides, but can we trust him to save the day? You can be sure if it's Batman. Batman. Superman. Wonder Woman. And that's just the tip of the iceberg.
2: Wait, he's very fast? Yeah. The world's greatest team of heroes has finally come home. Home sweet
0: home. (laughs) Toonami presents Justice League, premiering Monday, June 2nd at 5. Not so fast.
2: All them heroes is in the house. Just watch. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. We are starting things off with Heroes Reborn, Volume 2, Number 1, and... This book is written by Jason Aaron, pencils by Ed McGinnis, inks by Mark Morales, colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by Corey Pettit, and the editors are Martin Biro, Alana Smith, and Tom Brevoort. We open in East Los Angeles, and Robbie Reyes is riding by on his bicycle, running late as always, because he is, quote, the slowest kid in LA, and Blade approaches him, sort of going incognito with hoodie and a trench coat, saying that he's looking for Ghost Rider. And Robbie Reyes says, I don't know what that is, but it sounds like something that'll kill you if you smoke it. Get into a treatment program. And so, Blade continues on his way. He notes that the whole world seems different. He hasn't smelled a single vampire in weeks. And he's in a world where the Avengers not only don't exist, but that no one's ever heard of them. Meanwhile... In Washington, D.C., Dr. Doom activates his Gem of Sidorak and becomes Dr. Juggernaut. And Hyperion arrives to defend the White House. He fights Dr. Juggernaut. He breaks free and uses his heat vision. And Nighthawk then informs Hyperion that the rest of the Masters of Doom are there as well. So Nighthawk goes to the capital to confront Hydra, led by the Black Skull. And... Dr. Spectrum flies into space. Um, Meanwhile, we get additional narration telling us that on this Earth, 177A Bleecker Street in Greenwich Village is a head shop where no one's ever heard of Dr. Strange. Jennifer Walters runs a successful law practice in LA. There's nothing green about her. Her cousin Bruce was exiled years ago after his first appearance as the Hulk. Carol Danvers is an Air Force pilot always being busted for insubordination, so she's never made it to the rank of captain. Tony Stark never took any shrapnel to the heart. The Spirit of Vengeance and the Starbrand were deemed dangerous and banished to the Negative Zone. The Nation of Wakanda doesn't appear on any maps. It was dismissed as a myth years ago. The Power of the Iron Fist never left the mountains of Tibet. And Blade muses that whoever made these changes was thorough, but that it seems that it all goes back The one important difference, that Steve Rogers was was killed in action in World War II. And on top of that, in place of the Avengers, this world now has the Squadron Supreme of America. And that squad, we've already seen some of their members already, just to run down the membership real quick. We've got Hyperion and Nighthawk, Dr. Spectrum, Blur, and Power Princess. And... As Blade is looking up at the statue of Steve Rogers, the memorial to Captain America, Blur goes running through the streets of Washington. Actually, it looks like maybe the the mall. I think that might be the the reflecting pool. And Blur is chased by the super speed sorcerer, the Silver Witch, because (laughs) at some point when her brother Pietro was killed, Wanda used her chaos magic to absorb his powers and so she now uses hypersonic X's. At the same time, Power Princess is in a hand-to-hand fight with the unstoppable Gog, and in space, Dr. Spectrum gets punched in the face by Thanos wearing all of his infinity rings. Meanwhile, back on Earth, we jump backwards a few days earlier and see Blade having a conversation with a burly, bearded, blonde Nordic man drinking mead from a horn. And it's clear from the context that Blade is speaking to Thor. But Thor says his father is dead. He knows nothing of hammers or this Avenger person you seek. He has to be left alone. But the angrier he gets, the more he lapses into very silver-agey Thor talk. (laughs) I said, leave me the hell alone, or by the bones of my father I shall... Blade leaves again. Meanwhile, Nighthawk is fighting off members of Hydra, again led by the Black Skull. And Blade shows up and begins taking out members of Hydra as well. And the two, Blade and and Nighthawk have a conversation in which Nighthawk reveals he knows who Blade is. And Blade reveals that he knows that reality has been changed and that he's out to fix it. And now he's finally found somebody other than him who knows that the world is all a big damn lie. And as Hyperion finishes off Dr. Juggernaut outside the White House, President Coulson orders him to go help Hawk finish up with Hydra, and we get a nice big two-page spread of the squadron in action, and we get two parallel lines of action here. Blade is on the ice, where he can smell human blood, he goes down into the ice, and he finds the frozen Steve Rogers, where the Avengers never found him. Meanwhile, Thor angrily slams his horn of mead onto the table, and as it makes contact with the table, it erupts in a bolt of lightning and turns into Mjolnir. To be continued.
1: This is a great start.
2: A very good first issue.
1: Very good first issue to an event. It really leaves you wondering, like, what the heck happened here? And it gets you yes. really wondering about the history of this world.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into this with the following issues, but it is kind of a brilliant structure that they used to use the one-shots to kind of fill in all of that background context that the main issues sort of leave you
1: wanting. Yeah, most of them, not everything. Right. For example, there is no addressing what, where the heck, what the heck happened to all the vampires.
2: Right, that has not been touched. And and I'm not really sure where that would come from, because, I don't know.
1: They don't have a theme It's an exchange. interesting
2: quirk. Nope. So it's not like a version of Midnight Suns happened with the Montesi formula and everything. No. Because there's also no Spirit of Vengeance.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe just Power Princess decided Gap Year kill the vampires?
2: <laughs> well, Nighthawk seems to not like vampires very much either. Yeah. And this is Nighthawk fully in the mode of Grant Morrison Batman.
1: He he very much is.
2: Like, this, this Nighthawk is Batman as he appears in JLA Volume 1.
1: Yes. And he is a badass.
2: Yes. Uh, we talked when we did that one random Defenders issue about how that version of Nighthawk sucks. <laughs> I like this Nighthawk. I want more of this guy.
1: <laughs> I like this Nighthawk. If only... If- <laughs> If only there was a monthly title starring this version of Night for the last 80 years.
2: Right. Oh, right. wait.
1: <laughs> it's it's really fun. McGuinness's artwork here is just gorgeous. Yes. Some of the splash pages we get, like, each of the big fights here gets its own splash page. Yep. Uh, we get a splash page between Dr. Juggernaut and Hyperion, which is fantastic. Don't you just love Dr. Juggernaut? <laughs>
2: I do. I do. The only thing that would make it better, and they couldn't do it for a variety of reasons, up to and including the name had already been used for a different book, but I kind of wish he was Dr. Doomsday. Well, you notice, like, once Hyperion starts
1: beating on him, he starts getting little, like, um, jagged bits to him, a lot like Doomsday. Absolutely. Uh, Did you notice that his knuckles say doom? I did.
2: I did. That's great. (laughs) Um, I like that design a lot. I'm less into the, the Black Skull. Like, it's fine, but Red Skull being Venom is just weird. It, it's it's weird, especially since they seem to
1: call him both Venom and Red Black Skull. Right. I
2: it's, almost wanted the organization to be called Venom.
1: Yeah. But then they I mean, have to redesign is. the outfit. Uh, yeah, they do kind of look like H's, don't they? It, it would not have been hard to make that a V instead of an H. I'm
2: just, right. You're right. Yeah, like the the straps go down to a belt buckle. Yeah. Merging of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch into one character is fun. Mm-hmm. And, and even, like, Thanos having infinity rings that kind of evoke the rings of the Spectrum in DC. Yeah,
1: kind of evokes Sinestro. Yep, yep. But it's... The artwork is gorgeous. The only version of the team, and we'll talk more about this when we get to his individual issue, that I really... Don't dig is Doctor Spectrum.
2: He's a little bit bland. We don't get much out of him.
1: No, which actually, when you think about it, makes him a perfect replacement for Hal Jordan.
2: Hey, absolutely. Well, and he's also <laughs> he's kind of it's like they've merged Hal Jordan with Doctor Manhattan a little bit. Mm. It, it, it just even the way that they refer to him as America's cosmic super soldier. Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot like. The Dr. Manhattan of the flashbacks in Watchmen, hmm. which itself is kind of funny because the Grunewald Squadron Supreme often gets compared to Watchmen in terms of its deconstruction of the superhero mythos.
1: Yeah, it does. I would argue that Squadron Supreme is a little bit more fun to read. Absolutely. Yes.
2: Because Grunwald, Maybe not quite as literary, and we'll put that yeah. in scare quotes, But but more fun to yeah. read. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, this notion of what if essentially the JLA took over the Marvel universe is it, interesting. It's fun. It's and I'm enjoy it. I it's so unexpected that Blade is our like audience identification character here. Yes, that's such a fun choice.
1: It, it is. I I really wonder why he's the character there because like right, it would almost make more sense. If it was Robbie Reyes? Maybe, yeah. But I guess you want to have somebody with maybe less resources?
2: Less resources, but also some powers. And because they're, they're establishing that the spirit of vengeance has been banished to the negative zone, it would have to be a human Robbie Reyes.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Whereas Blade at least gets to keep his Daywalker powers.
1: He does. Maybe because his powers are ingrained in him from birth maybe
2: well and it's possible i and again i i have not read too far ahead if it turns out that the vampires were eliminated through something like the montessi formula well we already know he's immune to that cuz he survived it the last time
1: true true it's it's a fun issue
2: you know it, it doesn't it doesn't bear digging deep into no and, and like i say word of the day is decompressed it it ha- there's it, it it's sort of snapshots of of things happening
1: yeah it's they're they're gorgeous snapshots the artwork is fantastic here which kind of brings we'll, uh, we'll we'll get into a later issue that that causes for me right but it's a lot of fun like i read this and i wanted more of this universe however oh, yeah it's worth noting here this is not a separate universe no this is technically an altered timeline this is the marvel universe under 66. the influence
2: of some sort of power.
1: Exactly. So this is not, you know, Earth one nine three nine or whatever.
2: Right. Watchers not showing up in this one to say, let's take a look what's going on over here.
1: No, <laughs> someone is fucking with reality.
2: Yeah. And at this point, Blade is the only one who is aware of it. Right. Although the, the final page suggests he isn't going to be alone for long. <laughs>
1: So, let's go ahead and take another quick break, and we'll come back with Hyperion and the Imperial Guard. Number one, right after these messages. Just when you thought it was safe to hear our podcast promo.
2: J.L. Brave and bold. Comic books.
0: JL may do, 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 brave do, the bold, do to do do, 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 JL may, JL may do, 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 brave and the bold do, 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 books do, 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 do JL may JL may do, 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 the bold, do, 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 do do, do, do JL
2: may
1: The annual podcast crossover event celebrating the Justice League is back, And we're covering the 2007 Brave and the Bold series that started with Mark Wade and George Freakin' Perez and ended with J. Michael Straczynski. Throughout the month of May, participating podcasts will release special episodes on issues in the run. It all kicks off in the Overlook Dark Knight podcast.
0: Follow the event on social media using the hashtag JLMay2023. Coming this
1: May...
2: K.L. Make do 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 Brave and the Bold do 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 Comic book do 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 Mephistophag Hey!
1: That it? Is that what you want?
0: Started. Three times the suspense. It's here. Three times the danger. Let us back Three times the terror.
1: Weaver, Alien 3, starts Friday in theaters everywhere. Welcome back, Tim Believers, to our first of our tie-in issues, The Heroes Reborn. We are looking at Hyperion and the Imperial Guard, number one, although it points out here that in the context of the issue, it's actually issue 121, presuming that this series has been going on for a while. The title of this little tale is Coda. Writer is Ryan Caddy, penciler is Michelle Bandini, inker is elizabetta Diemico, and Michelle Bandini, colorist is Eric Arcenega, Corey Petite is letterer. So, apparently, as a young man, uh Hyperion was sent off to train with the Shiar Imperial Guard. Think very much Superboy and Legion of Superheroes.
2: One hundred percent. Gladiator is Monel.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what this is. And you know, Super sorry, Hyperion has made a lot of friends among the Imperial Guard, including a little girlfriend for himself oracle but also Flashfire, neutron and manta as well as some others who are not quite as important to our story and whose names i did not write down
2: yeah they, they don't get blurbs on the the opening page where it identifies the key members
1: yeah and I, i'm lazy <laughs> but after the climactic battle with Deathbird in the previous issue. Hyperion is reflecting on his time with the Imperial Guard and kind of bemoaning the fact that he's going to have to leave all his friends soon to return to Earth. And they're like, hey, we want to have one last mission with you. Kind of a going away thing. And they are going to go and investigate Deathbird's treasure planet, which apparently is located on a bubble between actual reality and the negative zone. Using Hyperion's hypervision...
2: Something like that.
1: Yeah, something like that. Hypervision, they burrow through to the bubble and decide to investigate this little floating a- collection of asteroids and such that Deathbird apparently had as her like treasure room... And so, such so as that. Almost immediately after they land, members of the Imperial Guard get stink, start getting picked off by a mysterious presence hidden in the trees. And of course, any of you longtime x readers will recognize those tendrils as those of the Brood. And there's a lot of talky-talky about, oh, I'm going to miss you guys so much. Especially between Hyperion, Oracle, and Gladiator. Meanwhile, the rest of the team's being picked off pretty quickly <laughs> and being transformed into Brood. The Brood tries to infect Hyperion. His s- superior alien system fights off the infection. Manta buys some time for Gladiator and Hyperion. Gladiator tells Hyperion that he needs to use his atomic vision. That's what's called atomic vision. To pop the bubble that the fortress, the treasure fortress lies within, much like he did to create the tunnel to it. And so Hyperion passes his beloved Oracle, who has passed out for mysterious reasons, to Gladiator and proceeds to burst the bubble of the reality. And that is when Gladiator says, hey, uh, Hyperion, I know you can hear me with that, you know, superhuman hearing of yours. Uh, what we didn't want to tell you is Oracle's infected as well. We all are gonna be infected, and you're just gonna this is goodbye. And Hyperion burst to reality and was left alone, adrift in space, mourning his friends.
2: Now, did you read the backup? I did read backup. Let's talk about this first. And how good it is? It's so good. <laughs> it's really good. It's really, it's really, good. really good. In the Again, so DC Comics comparisons are going to be inevitable because they're doing yes. pastiches of DC. Yes. But this reminds me of, like, the good stuff in, like, 80s, 90s Superman.
1: Yeah. Superboy and Legion and, yeah. Yeah. It's good yep. stuff. And, yeah. The only thing I would begrudge, and this is because, you know, you look at this, you look at the letters page. By the way, Trey, there's a letters page. It's awesome. Yes. It's I mean, it is fairly clear that you know it's members of Marvel staff writing these letters, but yes, it's it's great fun. But if you look at it, it's fairly clear that this is this issue is supposed to take place in the nineties, right? They make reference to Wizard magazine. Yep. Who would have thought we'd refer? We'd see reference to Wizard magazine here.
2: <laughs> also, this is very much a post-crisis, post-burn kind of thing. Back in issue number 45, Hyperion clearly states that, quote, he feels the power of a thousand dying suns coursing through his veins. But in issue 114, he tells Gladiator that, quote, my body collects cosmic radiation and creates fission to power my abilities. Why are you throwing away years of continuity to sound cool and real? If I wanted the real (laughs) world, I'd turn on the news. Is that not the most post-crisis complaint you've ever heard? It really is. They also reference Alien Three, which sets a very specific time for when this would have come out. When did Alien Three come out? It's nineteen ninety two.
1: So this is definitely nineteen ninety two. Right. That that that's the vibe I get. And that brings me to my big complaint for this issue. And uh-huh. it's my only real complaint. Yep. This is not nineteen ninety two artwork.
2: No, no. They're not they're not visually evoking that era.
1: Which is a little um, bit sad.
2: They could have gotten away with it if they had, instead of 92, if they'd made it, like, immediately post-Zero Hour. Which would have been, what, like, 95, 96? Yeah.
1: But, like, yeah. who would we bring in as the artist for this?
2: Gosh. Well, I mean, Dan Jurgens.
1: Yeah, Dan Jurgens. Or,
2: or Jerry Ordway.
1: Jerry Ordway. Jurgens already has an issue in this crossover.
2: Yep. since John Byrne mysteriously disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle years ago, we can't have him. <laughs> and since Jurgens Zari on another book, uh, yeah, I, I'd say someone like Ordway would be who I would get. Maybe Ron Friends. Yeah, ooh, Ron Friends would be good. Like, who's a
1: classic Legion artist who's still working?
2: Because I, I was so, I was just sort of thinking Superman artists from the 90s. I guess, let's see, Giffen? Giffen be good. That's about right. He was doing it from, like, late 80s to around 92 or th- or so. Giffen was on it, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you have lots of artists who were, like, the Archie Legion. Right. If this artwork had been, like, similar to the Archie Legion, that would have been interesting.
2: And I think post-Zero Hour was Stuart Immonen.
1: Oh, that would have been great.
2: He did the reboot Legion, yeah. Oh,
1: that, no, that that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, and he And he's a current Marvel artist.
2: So, yeah, I, I agree with you. If I have one complaint, it's that it looks like a book from the mid 2000s, not a book from 1992.
1: Yeah. Which, as as you and I both cut our teeth on books from 1992, we know right. what they look like. Right.
2: Um, but you know, just in terms of storytelling, it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. And even like, you know, do some image style stuff, you know, like. It, make it look, maybe look make it look like an image book. That'd been fine too.
2: Yeah, go for more of a McFarlane or a uh, maybe not Liefeld. What's his name? Savage Dragon guy.
1: Um, Eric Larson.
2: Larson, like go go for one of their vibes. And you know
1: what you could do mm-hmm. is you could have a more classic look for the Hyperion story, and then do more image talk, style artwork for our backup, which we'll talk that about fits. now. Yeah. Our backup is Starjammers. Writer on this one again is Ryan Caddy. Artist is Stephen Byrne. Letter is Corey Petit.
2: And they were briefly referenced in the main story.
1: It is indeed uh, Christopher Summers, yep. but it's also his sons, Scott and Alex Summers, as well as Hepzibah Summers, but also Rocket and Groot. Yep. Yep. So... Someone took your Starjammers, and somebody took your Guardians of the Galaxy.
2: Yep, and they mashed them together, right? And then they tied it all together with a ribbon made out of the Fantastic Four family dynamic. Yeah, traditionally the Starjammers are not a Summers family affair.
1: No, they are not. But anyway, the Starjammers are pirates, space pirates, in fact, uh, on run from the Shi'ar Empire, and. Uh, in they are just going along go along in space doing piratey stuff when they get a proximity alarm. There is a Nova Corpsman sitting outside of their ship. And they have to bring him aboard, thinking it's an inspection. And the Corpsman reveals himself as Centurion Jonathan Storm. <laughs> who says he is here to commandeer their vessel. And there's a big bit of a fighty fight fight about that. And, but then, of course, bigger fish come up in the form of a Shiara strike fleet who are there looking for, not the Starjammers as they expect, but Centurion Storm's cargo, which is revealed to be Lalandra, regent in exile of the Shi'ar Empire. This was a fun story. It is.
2: And Lalandra saying we're going to capture the Phoenix Force... One, makes me really want that issue. (laughs) But two, sounds like the opening to the weirdest science fiction-y episode of Leverage ever.
1: (laughs) So, there is so much to like about this. Yes, the family dynamic is great. I love that Scott and Alex are basically the Venture
2: brothers. Go Team Venture! Yes, they are. And I like that because Scott... Did not have all of the various physical and emotional traumas of his childhood. He's in full control of his powers.
1: Yes. Alex less so, but that's always the case.
2: Well, right. Alex has always struggled with that. I also really, really enjoy the right in the middle of the fighty fight fight moment. Rocket shouting F the space police. (laughs) It's good. Speaking of the space cop, it's Johnny Storm. (laughs) Get it? Nova? Nova,
1: get it! Oh. <laughs> and they are going with the classic sci-fi trope. You got space, you got space pirates, and finding a girl in a box. Yep, yep. You see it in Outlaw Star. You see it in Firefly, and you see yep. it here. <laughs> it's yep. just it, there's a lot of good. I yeah, I gotta say, of all the tie-ins mm-hmm. that we get from this crossover. There's a lot of good tie-ins. Yes. This is the one I want the next issue of.
2: Yes. And also, I just to sort of bring it back, the main feature of this book in terms of its DC connections. Here, it's maybe a little less clear, but the vibe to me, it almost reminds me of, if you remember in the mid-90s, the, the spinoffs Legion and Rebels. Yeah.
1: Or, or
2: the Omega Men. Oh, absolutely. 100% the Omega Men.
1: Yes. Remember when the Omega Man were going to be the next big thing from DC?
2: Well, so, and and then Tom King, as he is wont to do, did a really critically acclaimed, well-received miniseries with them, and they have not been used since. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's exactly
1: what this is. Because, <laughs> you know, they're hyping Star Jammers, the next big thing.
2: Oh yeah, well, and that's totally what the Omega Men were set up as. You're, you're right, hundred percent. Because
1: it was like, oh, if you like the Titans, if you like Legion of Superheroes, you're gonna love Omega Men.
2: Yep, yep. A- am I? Am I? Am yep. I really? And then, like I say, Tom King did essentially the New Fifty Two Omega Men, mm-hmm. and and it's a really good book. But it's a really good book because it's secretly a Kyle Rayner book.
1: So is Johnny Storm or Kyle Rayner here?
2: Yes, I, I could. I could get with that. Yes, <laughs> I
1: just. I. I. I really want to know the circumstances that led Johnny Storm to being a Nova.
2: Right. Like I feel like there is a story about the Richards family that's not getting told here.
1: Well, I. I don't think he went on the spaceship with Reed and Sue and Ben and or, Rich Reed because right. I don't think I don't think that flight happened for one thing.
2: Right. So is this a Like MCU Star-Lord abducted by aliens as a child situation? Or is this something else?
1: I don't know, but I want to know! Right.
2: Or did Reed not have permission to launch, but he launched anyway and they ended up lost in space? Or Johnny ends up lost in space? Yeah, because we're about to talk about Reed. That's right. Reed we see. Yeah. Or hear about. But yeah, I don't know how Johnny ended up in the Nova Corps. So weird. Yeah.
1: Now... I will say the inclusion of Rocket and Groot here is a little bit anachronistic.
2: A little bit. Well, it makes makes the Omega Men comparison clearer, because you need some early alien types.
1: Yeah, but as far as, like, for the time period it's supposed to be, it doesn't quite fit.
2: Yes, certainly that version of Groot doesn't fit. No, and
1: that version of Rocket doesn't really fit either.
2: Right, right. Because these are both very much post Abnet Lansing and post MCU versions of Rocket and Groot.
1: Yes, they are. But it it's it's a really fun tie-in.
2: It is. It is. Yep. Star Jammers number one in stores June nineteen ninety two. Cause the idea it, it's like in nineties comics where you'd get like the preview of a of a hot new title in, in the back matter. Are you looking at individual issues
1: or the trade? I'm mean, looking at individual issues.
2: Ah, I'm looking um, at the trade. Okay, in the individual issue, the final panel, the close-up of Lalandra, mm-hmm. superimposed over the bottom of the panel, it says, to be continued in Starjammers number one, in I've stores got that. June 1992. I don't got that.
1: Okay. That's interesting.
2: So at some point between the single issue and the trade, they took out some of the references to the, the flashbackness of it.
1: Yeah, that's a bit sad. Anyway, yeah, from one really fun tie-in
2: to another tie-in that certainly exists,
1: that's right. We're <laughs> going to come back with Peter Parker, the amazing shutterbug, right after these messages.
2: In
0: all his decades of publishing history, one event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived. Worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Available weekly from January 3rd, 2022, at JohnReadsComics.com. You must be Mr. Olson from
1: The Daily
0: Planning. I was Jimmy Olson. I'm really Jack Larson, inviting you to join me Thanksgiving Day for Channel Nine Superman Festival, featuring some of my favorite episodes. It's four great hours with my best friends and worst enemies, thrilling adventure, great Superman trivia, and of course, Superman in his crime-fighting and hide-saving best. Spend Thanksgiving with Superman and Channel Nine. It starts at one p.m. It really is the American way.
2: Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Our next issue is the Heroes Reborn tie-in, Peter Parker, The Amazing Shutterbug, number one, written by Mark Bernardin, pencils by Ron Lim and Raphael De La Tour, inks by Scott Hanna and Raphael De La Tour, colors by Jim Campbell, letters by Ariana Marr, and the editors are Danny Kazem, Devin Lewis, and Tom Brevort.
1: I had no idea Mark Bernardin wrote this.
2: Yeah, yeah. I like Mark Bedarden. Uh, let's not hold it against him yet. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so Peter Parker, the amazing Shutterbug. We open in flashback, an unspecified number of years ago. Peter Parker has just visited General Tektronics as part of a school field trip. A gene modified spider escapes from its cage, drops down over his head and Flash Thompson smacks Peter Parker in the head, causing the spider to land on the ground instead, and it gets squished. We... Right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm all... Well, we'll get to it. Peter arrives at home, his Uncle Ben is there, and his Aunt May, and they have a little talk about science. We then skip forward again, because this is all very montage-y, and Peter Parker has been named valedictorian at graduation, and... He goes to retrieve his science project from the gym so that it doesn't get thrown out. Uh, While he's there, he is ambushed by Flash Thompson and the other jocks, and so Peter hides. They come after him, and Peter uses the other science projects to set off the sprinkler system, which annoys the bullies, and they catch him anyway, and they beat him up. He then rides home with his aunt and uncle ready to leave all of high school behind forever. He has a conversation about the future with Mary Jane, who he knows as a next-door neighbor, but nothing more, although he muses that knowing her might have been special. And then we jump forward years later. Peter Parker is at Empire University, and he is building drones. And his Aunt May calls and says she's on her way into, into the city to buy a new dress because she's going to see In the Heights, which tells us exactly when this takes place um, yeah. to within a few years at least Yep. and so Peter makes plans to meet up with Aunt May for coffee later on he goes out to test his synchronized drones and one of them smashes into Carolyn Trainer. <laughs> that's a name I haven't thought about in a while um, <laughs> and she is impressed with Peter's engineering and asks if The drones would be fast enough to catch up with Hyperion, because she'd like to see some close-up footage of him. So Peter fires up his drones and ends up getting some really great footage of Hyperion fighting uh, the Hovermaster. And as Peter is filming, Hyperion throws a billboard at the Hovermaster, and it smashes right into the department store where Aunt May is shopping. Because of course it does.
1: Is Hovermaster the wizard? Uh, I assume
2: so, yes. Okay.
1: Carry on. Killing Aunt May. Go for it.
2: Right. Aunt May killed by the billboard smashing into the department store. As Peter gets uh, a voicemail from Uncle Ben, we then jump forward to the funeral, and Uncle Ben is devastated. We then jump forward to Peter Parker at the Daily Bugle, pitching using his drones to improve the Bugle's digital strategy to offer views of New York from a different vantage point, which Robbie hates, Robbie Robertson. He hates that, but he's interested in the footage of Hyperion. And so he hires Peter to use his drones to document Hyperion's every move. We get a quick cameo by J. Jonah Jameson yelling, because that's what he does. Peter and Uncle Ben don't have a great relationship. Peter is bitter and angry, and it seems like Ben is a little bit too. But Ben is reaching out and trying to reconnect and make things right. Peter tries to quit his job filming Hyperion, and just then there is a swarm of alien bugs. The Hive of Annihilation have escaped from their bottle. Hyperion shows up and takes out some of them, but then he goes off to fight Ultron, which is, I guess, a mutated Henry Pym, as a giant robot. Hyperion crunches him up into a ball of metal, and... Peter gets some, some close-up shots, and a single bug from the Hive of Annihilation follows Peter into the Bugle, and Peter creates a distraction and gets people evacuated, and then uses himself as bait to try and stop the Annihilation Hive, but he is unsuccessful. He is infected by the Annihilation bug, and mutates himself into a hideous bug monster, and so he throws himself out the window to die. The
1: end. Oh, okay. Uh
2: huh. Where to start with this one? So you know what this feels like to me. What does this feel like to you? You remember the miniseries Ruins? Wow. Yeah, I remember Ruins. the The parody of Marvels, but where everything goes horribly wrong. Okay. Yeah. What it's doing is okay. Our cover and our solicitation is setting up the expectation of Peter Parker as the Jimmy Olsen to Hyperion Superman. Yes, we're going to take that expectation and we're going to disrupt it at every opportunity.
1: Yes, that's what they decided to do,
2: and that's what Ruins is. Ruins takes the the template of Kurt Busiek's Marvels and disrupts the expectation at every opportunity.
1: Okay, I've read it, but yeah, the problem is. I feel I, I would have much more enjoyed Peter Parker's Jimmy Olsen.
2: Like, actually, as Jimmy Olsen, not as the bitter, begrudging Jimmy Olsen. Right. I also feel like him mutating into the Spider Monster at the end is intended to be a joke about Jimmy Olsen turning into things like the Turtle Boy. Yes,
1: absolutely is.
2: But because it's in the style of a modern comic and not Silver Age superman's pal jimmy olsen some of that is lost
1: yes like i want. i i would want to see peter parker getting into more jimmy olsen style hijinks
0: mm-hmm.
2: he should have had a signal watch
1: yeah and like using his super smarts to get out of them
2: like my reporter sense is tingling yeah my news sense is tingling something like that Yeah. Right. right the initial flashback stuff when he's a kid is okay. It's still doing a little bit of that. We're just going to invert the expectation at every opportunity thing, but it's at least doing it in a way that makes sense for this world where the Avengers don't exist. Yeah. Basically, once he gets to college, it's all downhill. Yes. Like you've kind of
1: always had this idea that if Peter Parker had never been Spider-Man, he would have had a great life.
2: This book posits. No, not really. Yeah. In terms of when this is set, uh, because they reference in The Heights being open on Broadway, that means that it is sometime between 2008 and 2011. Okay. And so on that level, the art style is more appropriate than the previous tie-in we read.
1: I don't really have a problem with the art. It's fine. Yeah. It's a modern comic. It is a modern comic. But I, I just... My problem is the cynicism.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like I say, that, that, that part of it, the reason I keep bringing up Ruins is... That was a mini series that was critically dinged at the time for how cynical it was, and, and I see that going on with this one too.
1: I can see that, and it just it makes. I think of what it could have been, and uh, I just want that instead. Yeah,
2: like uh, for what it's worth, I, I made the joke about Carolyn Trainer being a, a character that I had not thought about in a while. Carolyn Trainer is Doctor Octopus 2. She was the yes. Dr. Octopus during the, the Scarlet Spider, Ben Riley years. Yep. Yep. Our, our beloved clone saga. Created by friend of the show, J.M. DeMatteis. Indeed she is.
1: <laughs> and you kind of feel like she sh- they could have done more with her. Like, yeah. have her working for Otto Octavius even at this point, and like have right. her wanting to use Peter to spy on Hyperion. Because right. Otto right. is already a supervillain at this point
2: or even just make her a fellow engineer and have her recommend some design tweak to the drones that evokes some of her octopus tech yeah just a little something to nod toward who we know her to be
1: yeah it's just M- mark bernardin you know he he does a good podcast i read mm-hmm. i haven't read too many of his comics at this point but uh i just i wanted something else from this
2: yes yes i Also, just, okay, I'm going to read you the solicitation for this book. Okay. You tell me how much it matches with your experience of reading the book. Okay. Peter Parker is the biggest Hyperion fan in the world, and he also just happens to be chummy with his favorite hero, thanks to a photography gig at the Daily Bugle. Surely nothing can go wrong with his camera and him in the heart of the action, right? I want that book! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, I, they solicited the book that we're talking about wanting, the, the Jimmy Olsen book
1: Yes, I, I I, want that Like, I want you to show me Peter Parker being a better Jimmy Olsen than Jimmy Olsen
2: And I think what this book is positing instead Is that even as Jimmy Olsen, Peter Parker would have the Parker luck He could have the Parker luck and still give me a fun book I, I agree, I agree I'm just saying that the cynical read is that nothing good can happen to Peter Parker. And again, you can let me have fun with that. Right. Right. Without him being this bitter asshole. I'll make a couple of other connections here. One more than maybe any other book I've read for this event so far, this one feels like an issue of what if. Mm, Okay. In that, in what if, when something is changed about reality, The result is awful. This is true. The other thing it reminds me of is Edge of Spider-Verse, Volume 1, Number 4. So this was back when the first Spider-Verse event was happening. There was a tie-in series called Edge of Spider-Verse. Each issue was a Mm one-shot. This is where Spider-Gwen came from. This is where a bunch of the more notable variant spiders came from. The fourth issue was called I Walked with a Spider. And it posits a version of Spider-Man who, upon being bitten by the spider, basically goes full Jeff Goldblum and becomes a carnivorous spider monster who kills his uncle and the Mary Jane character and anyone else that he can get close to. Okay. It's pretty dark and pretty gross, and this one kind of reminded me of that, too.
1: Okay, let's talk about Mary Jane. Yep. Is he actually having a conversation with Mary Jane here, or is he imagining imagining her? Yeah, is he imagining what having a conversation with Mary Jane would have been right. like? Too,
2: I my my summary was unclear about that, but yeah, it seems like he is talking to his idealized version of her because yes. when it, the the final panel, he looks over and the window's closed. Yes, this is a girl he's had a crush on from afar for years. Yeah, which why is it not Gwen? We don't know, but again, it it's just so frustrating for me. Yeah, because this is such an opportunity to have fun, right? The, the Imperial Guard issue understood the assignment in a way yes. that this one didn't exactly. This is exactly the case, and I think that's what's so frustrating about them being back to back in terms of the reading order, yeah, because you because they're both essentially riffs on the Superman family books, yes, and one of them gets that, and the other can't help but make it something else, yeah, it's just uh also this one doesn't have a fun backup. No,
1: no fun backup. Maybe we should move on, because I'm just going to keep on saying I'm bitter. Yeah. Like Peter.
2: Yeah, and ultimately, we'll get a very, very brief nod to this Peter Parker story in the next issue. But other than that, it ends up not being super important to the story.
1: No. But that does mean we should probably move to another break and return with Heroes Reborn number two right after these messages.
0: It came from the depths of space, leaving death and destruction in its wake. It is called the Sun Eater because it eats suns. It's kind of in the name. It has latched on to the sun, robbing the Earth of its life-giving heat and light. The heroes of the DC Universe have banded together with the greatest scientific minds in the world to stop the monster as the world begins to freeze. If they fail to stop the Sun Eater, the Earth, and the rest of the solar system will
1: see their final night.
0: Hello there, I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And I'm Michael Bailey. We're the hosts of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. We cover the Superman books that came out between 1986 and 2006, And we've finally reached the end of our cover date, 1996, which means we have gotten to the final night. Because this is one of the better crossovers that DC has published, Jeff and I thought that it would be fun to treat this like the event it is, and break up our coverage over four episodes. For those four episodes, we'll be covering the main series, issue by issue, as well as the Superman book that came out the same week. We'll also be taking briefer looks at the other crossover books to give Final Night the treatment it deserves. And if you're hearing this, that means all of the episodes are edited and ready to go, so it will be coming out on a weekly basis. Seriously? Yes, seriously. They're all edited? Yes, Jeff, they are. Edited and ready to go? Yes, Jeff, they are ready to go. Wow, surprising. Starting on March 30th. I mean, really surprising. Starting on March 30th. I mean, really, really surprising. Starting on March 30th. I, mean, I can hardly believe. Jeff, for the love of God, would you shut the f up and let me finish this? Yes, the episodes are done. Edited ready to go unless something prevents me from posting the xml files the listeners will get a new episode every thursday starting on march 30th 2023 we're even going to follow it up with an elsewhere slash meanwhile episode the week after the final episode so we can go through the normal features we usually do during our coverage of a cover month okay sorry that shocked is all yeah i'm sure everyone is but it's happening so let's move along can I tell people they can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Audible, and Spotify? Sure. And that the home for the show is www.fortressofbailytude.com? Yes, and that it is part of the Fortress of Bailey Tude podcasting network. Cool. Well, you know, the sun is out. You really have to meditate. secret duplication experiment goes wrong. What have I created? You call me Bizarro?
2: This Bizarro creature is a walking time bomb, but he's like a part of me. I can't kill him. Can anything stop this monster? Kryptonite. I'm the next
1: Superboy. Welcome back, Toon Believers, to our next and last issue for this episode. It is Heroes Reborn. Number two. Writer on this issue is Jason Aaron. Pencilers are Dale Keown and Ed McGuinness. Inker is Scott Hanna and Carlos Magno. Colorist is Edgar Delgado. Letterer is Corey Petit. And the issues past the first issue of this series do something interesting. They devote like the first half of the book to focusing on one member of the Squadron Supreme and the second issue of the book chooses to focus on Hyperion. And we get some flashback here to Galactus appearing on Earth and Silver Surfer versus Herald, and they're getting ready to chow down on our beloved planet when Hyperion flies through Galactus' head.
2: One of the best two-page spreads I've ever seen. You know... It does
1: appear that he is going faster than a speeding bullet. There, <laughs> in the modern day, Hyperion is grading papers in the clouds, and we learned that Hyperion is actually a ninth-grade U.S. history
2: teacher. <laughs> How does that feel, James? <laughs> Get, getting any like like PTSD flashbacks? Or <laughs> oh,
1: God. I teach juniors U.S. history. I can just imagine teaching freshman U.S. history.
2: God! Don't you wish your students could turn in term papers about Captain America and it actually be, like, applicable for a real grade? True. (laughs) 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 Anyway,
1: Hyperion is called away from grading papers by Reed Richards at S.H.I.E.L.D. Labs. Uh, You get it? S.H.I.E.L.D. Labs taking place at Star Labs. You go. And Reed and head of, S.H.I.E.L.D. Head of Security, Ben Grimm, inform Hyperion that multiple villains have escaped from the Negative Zone, and that he needs to round them all up, starting with the Imperial Guard. Apparently the, the, the whole you know imploding the pocket dimension thing wasn't quite as successful as they would have hoped, and in fact the, the Shi'ar Empire is now the Brood Empire and by the way in that Hyperion ish- issue we, we they never cover where oracle gets infected no no we we get that manta just that
2: at some point during the fight
1: yeah we get the manta is whispering that the guardian but we don't we're not we're not told hey this is where that's happening anyway he's fighting the imperial guard uh, then he's fighting mister beyonder yep a 5th dimensional cartoon... 6 dimensional, sorry, 6 dimensional cartoon character who's turning the people of Arkansas into flying sharks, which, you know, improvement. Hmm. Then, of course, he is saving Peter Parker from the annihilation, the hive of annihilation atop the Daily Bugle building, which you have Peter Parker actually saying the things that he said he... Oh, I bet he's this is what he's imagining me saying. <laughs> and then we've got him beating up giant Hank Pym, slash Ultron, and then lastly, at Bushima High School, that's cute, that's cute, his high, Bushima High School, <laughs> yeah. The Incredible Hulk is teaching Mark Milton's history class. Hyperion knocks him out of the classroom, realizing that Hulk may have finally gone too far at this point. Of course, Hulk is talking in opposite, much like a certain bizarre character we all know and love, yep. and yep. Hyperion Hyperion realizes that, hey, maybe Hulk finally has gone too far this one time, and he activates Executive Order SSA-1939 and kills the Hulk with his atomic vision. Uh, Later, he's reflecting on the fight with the Hulk and the Mystery of Steve Rogers paper, and he realizes that, hey, the Hulk said Steve as he was dying, Could there be a connection? But of course, by this point, Blade has already removed Steve Rogers from the ice. We then go to a few days later where a homeless vet is hanging out outside of Mark Milton's high school. Mark Milton, of course, with his enhanced senses, uh, detects that vet there. They have a brief conversation where Mark Milton realizes that this vet is a bit more than he seems. But before he can take him into custody... He's rushed away by a weird gust, and that of course is Blade, and the weird and the mysterious vet is revealed to be Captain America, now awakened in this new modern world, and realizing that he and Blade have some work to do.
2: Yep. Yep. Okay. So to start things off, I enjoy how, aside from Galactus, who's just Galactus, the various villains that Hyperion fights. Are all sort of references to Superman stuff? Yes. Well, and so, and also the the Brood Imperium. That's basically um, the reference to the tie-in. Yeah. But but after that, Mister Beyonder is Mixie's Pitlick. Yes. Really, Mister Beyonder. It, it, if I was writing it, I'd have made it Mister Impossible. Yes. Because it should be Impossible Man. It, it should be. But okay. And. Ultron seems to me to be some version of Metallo. Yes, the man with the pim particle heart. Yeah, Hulk is Bizarro, like we said. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I, I appreciate that their pastiche is extending beyond just the Justice League characters to the the Rogues as well.
1: Yeah, um, Doom is his Luther.
2: Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, but with a little bit of Doomsday mixed in.
1: A little bit of Doomsday mixed in. Thank goodness it isn't Zod if a little bit of Doomsday mixed in.
2: Right. The Hyperion-Hulk fight has a little bit of the, the Death of Superman fight in it. Just all of the, the, very, like the, the single panel all the way across the page kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Here's my problem. Yep. This artist is fine. Uh-huh. The artist who does the first half of this issue is fine. Sure. But the entire issue should have been Ed McGinnis.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Because it it's just a bad book to me to have this big event book, this core event book, and then it just like switch artist mid pages. Or
2: alternately you actually create more separation there and make it clear that what you have is either a split book, sort of like the old like Iron Man Captain America alt Namor type stuff where there are two co-features or you have a feature and a backup and they are clearly delineated and they have separate credits pages and so on. Right. That, that's sort of what's missing is because you almost get it. Cause there's in the middle of the book, you get next blur, which suggests the end of that story. And yes. so the next page ought to have a new title and a new credit. Yes. That's what's missing is just, just the making it a, a legitimate co-feature.
1: Also they reference stuff that the main Avengers are doing in this book, Mm. but they're not showing us them doing them. Right. I feel like there needed to be a separate Avengers tie-in book where we're keeping track of what's going on with the main 616 Avengers. Mm. The Shadow Avengers or whatever you want to call it that's developing.
2: Right. As they sort of accumulate one by one.
1: Yes. Like call it Blade and the Secret Avengers or something, you know?
2: Right. What no Secret Warriors.
1: Mm, no, I think Avengers needs to be in a title. Okay. And I mean this is this this becomes a issue I'm gonna have throughout.
2: And, and here's the thing, now that I look at it, they put the title and credits for the co-feature at the end of the book. The title yeah. of the second feature is Welcome Home, Soldier, and there are the credits.
1: Yeah. It doesn't feel like a cohesive story.
2: No. Yeah. So so I guess I guess the title page has Feature one, invaders from the negative zone, with credits. Welcome home, soldier, with credits. So the front matter indicates a co-feature. It's just not explicitly delineated in the book itself. Yeah. The sing, the single issue has has credits that do that on the, the front
1: page. And because this is advertised as a Jason Aaron-Ed McGinnis joint. Right. Getting different artists in the main feature is throwing me off.
2: Right. But I also I I can almost understand with the, the segments of the book that are sort of doing sort of character studies, letting a different artist tackle each of those characters is an interesting approach. You just need to you just need to clearly delineate the the co-featuredness of it.
1: Is the main event book, though, the place for character studies?
2: Right. Right. Or should that be in the tie in? Right. Uh, that, that's a good question. Well, so because we kind of have... This is an interesting event so far in that we have two different mysteries, or one mystery, really, but being pursued from two different directions. Hyperion and increasingly Nighthawk and some of the other characters are aware of something being weird about reality, increasingly, and they are pursuing what that is Mm -hmm. with with an angle on preserving reality as it currently exists, while Mm -hmm. at the same time, Blade and his growing lineup of Avengers are pursuing that same mystery, but with an angle on undoing it and making reality what it was. And so I understand making the, each book of the main event, a co-feature in that you want to give equal time to both sides of that mystery. And as, as the two paths gradually converge, because at some point Hyperion and Nighthawk and what they are investigating about reality and what Blade is investigating about reality are going to collide.
1: Mm. I mean, I see, I see what you're saying. I'm just like, uh, it, it needs something.
2: Yeah, like I it's say, an- for me, a, a clearer visual delineation in the middle of the book to create separation between those two stories that would be enough for me.
1: Because issue one is so strong. Issue one is so big.
2: Well, issue one is also entirely, almost entirely, from Blade's point of view. Yes, and and the with this book we move away from that a little.
1: Bit. Issue one is also just so big and bold, and like that's what McGinnis does very well. McGinnis does big and bold very well. You know, you have this, you have his run on Superman Batman, or is it Batman Superman?
2: They have you. There there have been books with both of those titles, so I'm not sure. You, Public enemies. You know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the, the early two thousands uh the one that the book didn't have a title. It was just the bat logo with the Superman logo in the middle.
1: Yeah. There you go. And he does big so well. He does this other stuff fine too, but I feel like he's wasted on this little, you know, handshake honor. Like
2: a, a he conversation. should be draw- he should be drawing Hyperion smashing through Galactus's skull.
1: Yes, he should be drawing Hyperion draw, smashing through Galaxian's skull. He should be drawing the Hulk-Hyperion fight. Yeah,
2: yeah, I get that. Yes. Yeah, that, so that's the only thing. If you're going to do a split creative team, why isn't McGinnis on the action-y one? Exactly. Eh, it. I still like it. I, I don't, I, I don't it
1: too. think it's a bad issue. No, it's just a come down from issue one. Mm-hmm. Where, like, Issue one had me going, okay, yeah, yeah, let me so- see more of this world. Okay, I'm in. And this was like, huh, that's interesting. Okay, huh, that's it. Okay, huh. Yep. Oh, uh, 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 That's it. Uh, okay, I mean, that's fine. That is exactly my thought process here. I can't explain it any better than that. <laughs> it didn't leave me, like, you know, as angry as the Shutterbug issue.
2: Right. So I actually found an interview with Jason Aaron where he talks about some of this stuff.
1: Okay, please, share.
2: Why was it important to work with different artists on every issue? This is a superhero hype interview from May of 2021. And one of the questions wow. they asked him was, why, is it, why was it important to you to work with different artists on every issue? And his argument is that he liked the idea that all of reality changed, and so sort of the entire line of Marvel publications changed. And so the look of the Marvel Universe changes, and he wanted all of those different artistic points of view to be somehow visible within the event. Um, that that they couldn't, it wasn't tying into all of the ongoing titles the way something like Inferno would. And so the solution was to divide up the, the individual event books and give each artist a crack at things. Oh, geez. Can you imagine if it had tied into some of the individual titles, though? It would have been madness. I don't think it would be as good. It would run the risk of Clone Saga Syndrome, where there'd just be too much of it. Okay. Uh, I kind of, I like that this seems to be self-contained.
1: So you don't think, so far, that this crossover would have benefited from more Room to
2: Breathe? I, lately, I have tended to be of the opinion that events benefit from fewer, not more issues. That's not always true. There are some times where, especially at the end of an event, things can feel rushed. We'll see if I feel that way when we get to the end of this one. Okay. Right now, where we are right now, I I don't know that I want more than what we have. I am
1: very interested to see how you feel about that at the end of this.
2: Sure. And again, I I totally reserve the right to change that position once (laughs) I have read further. Because we were talking off mic about this. I have not finished this event. I've (laughs) I've read beyond where we are now, but not too much further.
1: And Um, I... I read all the event already, so yeah.
2: Right. Another thing that that Aaron talks about in this interview is heroes reborn. centers on Blade, who now lives in a world without vampires and takes it upon himself to set everything back to normal. Uh, has it been fun bringing him even further out of his comfort zone? And Aaron basically talks about how much fun it is to write Blade, and that that's part of why he keeps using him. That <laughs> shoot it. That putting Blade in situations that are not Tomb of Dracula is fun. Uh, so quote shooting him into space, having him deal with gods and all sorts of different things. He's not used to crossing swords with. Yeah. I like the idea of a different character who could be the one to wake up and realize something's not right with the world to have that be blade is interesting because he's not the guy you usually expect. It puts him in this weird position of a guy who kind of just became part of the Avengers. And now he is the one remaining Avenger.
1: That is, that is cool. Yeah. And yeah, hit, hit, Jason Aaron's run, what he does with Blade and his run is fun. There's a whole part of it's, it's in the Starbrand storyline where Ghost Rider, his car is zooming through space past a solar system with like I think a red sun, and Blade mm-hmm. just cooking in the back seat it's like, well, I guess red, sun, red suns hurt me. Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Look <laughs> it, it in the back seat, and they're being chased by I think the Silver Surfer.
2: <laughs> I, I will also just just throw out there in terms of other Jason Aaron stuff: Blade and Boy Thing, best Marvel team up in years.
1: Oh, Boy Thing's amazing, we, especially we when he teams out. up with Blade. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes.
2: But yeah, I, I think this is overall a good start to an event. It's not. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's not sort of spreading things too thin it's moving at a pretty brisk pace. Like we're two issues in and cap's back, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I, I want to see that scene where blade
1: wakes them up. Right. Right. And then the, and then the blade cap fight. Cause why not?
2: Right. Like, that's the thing is it, it does feel like we're just glossing over blade convincing cap of everything that happened.
1: Yes. Like that version of Steve Rogers that just woke up out of the ice. It's,
2: and whose last memory was of World War II.
1: Yes. We haven't seen that this in even a while. Right. Anyway, it's a fun crossover so far.
2: It is. I'm enjoying it. I am enjoying it.
1: But I do think we have come to another end of another episode of Tomb of Ideas, Trey.
2: That's right. After far more issues than we're used to doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I need a nap. <laughs> we will come back next episode. With our look at Heroes Reborn number three, Heroes Reborn number four, Young Squadron number one, Siege Society number one, and Magneto and the Mutant Force number one. But until then, Tomb Believers, you can always reach out to us. Our email address is tombofideas at gmail.com. Our Facebook is facebook.comslash tombofideas. Our Twitter and Instagrams are both at Tomb of Ideas. And, of course, we are proud members of the CinePunks podcasting group.
2: That's right. So if you go to CinePunks.com, that's CinePunks with an X, you'll find our entire back catalog, along with a lot of other great shows, like The Carnage Report, Cinema Smorgasbord, The Shame List, and much more. And, of course, wherever you found our episode... We would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and a review. Uh, We love hearing from people by email, of course, but but those reviews and ratings really do go a long way in in pushing the algorithm needle a little more in our direction.
1: Woohoo! Algorithms! Yay! Anyway, Tomb Believers, until next time, bye-bye. Bye! Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror podcast until next time to members x